you know what? When we think about the worship of God, um, we're going to begin to look a little bit at uh, what worship is. Let me say that uh, the worship of God is not coming to church on Sunday and seeing what you can do for it. Uh, it's uh, uh, worship is coming with empty hands, hungry hearts, and say, what can you do for me? That's right. We've been taught we're holding God up, but that's an insult. God's holding us up. So what he wants you to do is to come and say, I bring empty buckets to the fountain of life. Now, if you come in here and you've already got the glass turned upside down, we can't get any water in you anyway because you're mixed up and set like cement. So yeah, I wonder why people waste the, uh, the trip. You want to come. The primary reason for coming is you're thirsty for God. Thirsty for God. Uh, and you say, well, I wonder what he's going to say today. And he warns us in Scripture, uh, if we don't pursue God, there's four things I want to say just by way of opening, four things he warns us about. First of all, he said, your God, if you pursue him, you will find nothing but joy. Psalms 100, verse 4, listen to what it says. It says, worship the Lord with gladness. Delight yourself in the Lord. So the characteristic of a meeting that I sense even in your singing, it's wonderful, is I'm delighted to be at a gathering that wants to worship. This isn't a union hall meeting. And this is not playing bridge. We've gathered not because you like everybody in the room. You don't know everybody in the room. You're blessed. Uh, you may not like them if you knew them. We are not the attraction, one another. But I want to tell you, you've got more in common with the person next to you than you think if God is their father and you are called brothers by Christ. And Hebrews 2 said, he made us brothers and are not ashamed to say we're in the same family. So, number one, God tells us to pursue our joy by delighting in God. It's just, it's all over the Bible. Two, the Bible threatens us if we don't find our joy in God. Look at Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 28. This is an astounding verse. Uh, he's warning Israel of their disobedience. And let me just read something that if you want to read this tonight for your devotions, I, I encourage you not to read the curses before you go to bed. The Lord will cause you to be defeated, verse 25, before your enemies. You will come at them from one direction, but flee from them in seven. And you will become a thing of horror to all the kingdoms on earth. Your carcasses will be food for all the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth. And there will be no one to frighten them away. The Lord will afflict you with the boils of Egypt and with tumors, festering sores, and the itch from which you cannot be cured. The Lord will afflict you with madness, blindness, and confusion of mind. Um, I want to be sure I get to the right verse so I don't drive you mad. Uh, let's see. Well, we'll skip. I want to get down to 47. These will drive you mad. Verse 47 is enough. We begin... It says, because you did not serve the Lord your God joyfully and gladly in the time of prosperity, therefore in hunger and thirst, in nakedness and dire poverty, you will serve the enemies the Lord sends against you. Because it was a strain to you to serve me in good times, I'll make the times worse, and I'll let your enemies take you captive. You better serve me with all you've got while you can. Thirdly, God says those 
who diligently seek him, he will reward them. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, if you will seek the Lord, he will be found. I had a man come up to me today, and he said, you know I'm one of those men you're preaching to. I said, one of the frozen? And he said, yeah. Uh, and I said, well, do you want to be thawed out? He said, well, I, I think I do. I said, if you seek God, he'll be found. He'll give you what you ask for. If you want an emotional life with God besides just thinking you know a lot, because mere knowledge is dangerous for it puffs up, but when you have the joy that comes with it, then you know God's doing a work in your heart. I said, I'll be praying that God will thaw you out. And he was sincere. And I'm not making light of that. But many are that way. I've never experienced this joy unspeakable and full of glory. Well, well, maybe Peter was the only one that ever had it. I think he wants everybody to have it. And Hebrews 11:6 says, God is a rewarder of anyone that seeks him. You can never be disappointed when God is the object of your seeking. And you see, God, but many people, I think even grace people, uh, well, I'm accepted in Christ, I'm in Christ, I've already landed, and they quit the seeking. And they just, they be, fall back into ordinariness, I would call it. And uh, I think finally, we've got to be aware uh, that this world will always produce another well for you to go to to find your pleasure in that is better, it will say, than the well of God. God says, my people have forsaken the living fountain are now drinking muddy water, and they gave up living, moving, non-infectious water for that which is like a cistern on a rooftop, and those were little... Uh, you know, clay roofs, little sunken places that caught rain. They cracked. Uh, they got polywogs in them. Uh, it, it was dirty water compared to living fountains. Now, let's look at who our God is. You got your notes here. Uh, to study and look at just some broad strokes about God, think there's three things about God. God's essence, what makes him up, what is he made of, and what's that that is distinct from other spirit beings? See, God is a spirit being. God is spirit, and they who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. But is God the only spirit being there is? What are the characteristics of a spirit being? Invisible. No body. What's that? Perfect person. And what does that mean if something's a person? Emotion, intellect, will. You don't need a body to have emotion. God has emotion, but he doesn't have a body. We'll have emotions in eternity future. And we're not talking about Blue Mondays. Grand emotions, wonderful emotions. So... Uh, spirit beings are incorporeal, invisible, personal. You know, that's what's amazing about the maniac of Gadara. If a legion was 6,000 soldiers, some say two, some say six, that means one body could contain 6,000 spirit beings. 6,000 different personalities could spatially live in a body that, let's say, a 150-pound man here, and 6,000 personalities could be in that being at that time. Let's go to 2,000. You think you're living with three personalities? Think if you had 2,000 in you. And they were real. They were real persons living in the spatial area of your body. What an amazing deliverance that man experienced. So, spirit beings. But when we come over to God, besides being distinct, what is distinct about him as a spirit being that's not true of any other spirit being? Number one, he's self-existent. Look at that in John. 
self-existent. I think self-existence used to always um, be something I would think about with God, and I never could get a handle on it. It says, you mean God's always been? For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. The old theologies used to call this aseity, the Latin word, aseity. God is self-existent. Now think about that. He's the uncaused cause. He's, he has been dependent on no one. He's always been. He's uncaused. Uh, did spirit beings have a beginning? Angels, angels, demons or fallen angels. Uh, sure, sometimes we make Satan uh, more powerful than he is. He's not omnipotent. Uh, he had a beginning. He knows he's not an atheist. He trembles at the thought there is God. He knows, and he knows he's even better at eschatology than a lot of you. He knows when his end is up. He works overtime in Revelation 12. Once he's cast to the earth, he works double time because he knows on his prophetic chart, I've only got a little time left, and I'm going to do everything I can to still destroy the race. So uh, God is self-existent spirit, always there. Now, what is a spirit being? There is substance to spirit. You just can't put your hand on it. See, a spirit being is circumscribed. Satan, did you know what? Satan can't be over there and here at the same time. He's not omnipresent. Right? Now, he's got a demonic network that's all over the world that reports to him. Most of us don't even warrant him getting too involved with us because we let a lot of lesser things trip us up. Just the flesh. You see, when Satan's bound for a thousand years, men still sin. You know what? They still got the flesh. If there were no devil, you'd still sin. So don't blame the devil for everything, nor your wife. It's you. It's you. Uh, two, God is immense, and that is in relation to space, time, matter. This is a term in relation to my creation. I am spatially immense. Uh, did you know that space stops somewhere? Yeah, yeah. It stops somewhere. We just can't get a telescope big enough to find where it stops. But it isn't, it's not God, you know. Space is not as big as God. Uh, all the galaxies aren't as... So God, he's got a circle out there where it stops. But he goes beyond it, and he's everywhere present where creation is. He's so immense, there's no place in all of creation that he's not above it and present at it. He's not one with it. He's not a pantheistic God. Don't make him the tree. He's present with the tree, but he's not the tree. He's everywhere there's creation. He's immense. You, you just can't, you can't get your hands around him. He said to Solomon when they were dedicating the temple, surely you don't think you made a house big enough to contain me. You can't get me in a house. The, the highest of the heavens can't contain me. I mean, I've got three heavens as it is. One you see by daylight, one you see at night, one you see by faith. One is real, atmosphere, stratosphere, third heaven where his throne is. There is a third heaven, not the Mormon third heaven, the God third heaven. Second Corinthians 12, I was caught up to the third heaven. Um, spirit. God is spirit. 
That means without bodily parts. That is what's amazing about Christ coming. Christ was a spirit being who chose to humble himself and take a human form. It's a mystery of mysteries. Um, because it wasn't a 33-year, um, let's say, suit, suit of flesh and bone that he, after the mission's over, he just throws it in a trash can or in a coffin. Well, I'll go back to the way it was. He never goes back to being without a body. I'm spirit for eternity at a point in time, I'll take a body that I will never abandon, and it will be with me. And that's all my pictures of heaven and seeing God. I often, when I say, God, I'm going to lay this before your feet, I never think of the Father when I say that. I think of the Son. Now, we have what we call anthropomorphisms about God. God's like a nesting eagle, and God has eyes. He's got ears. Well, uh, no, he's got something better than all that. He invented that stuff for us. But for us to get a handle on it, we say, well, he's got eyes and ears. And yeah, I don't know what it is, but I want to tell you, he can see. And he can hear. And he doesn't hear, need a hearing aid. I mean, it, whatever it is, he knows everything ever thought. And he says, he looks through the old King James, the kidneys and reins of the heart, all the inner motivations. He reads your heart tonight. You're naked before him. Even if you don't talk, he knows what you thought about. And he'll slap your hand and say, you're doing that for the wrong reason. Well, who told you? Do you think I need you to tell me? I searched the reins. Hebrews 3.13, this scriptures, he said, it makes us face-to-face and exposed to God. That's why it's so stupid to think you can sin and God not know it. Uh, the Christian life only takes place when you decide you're living a naked life before the living God. And that you're living a life that is never turned off. I'll pick up Sunday life. It's where you're living every moment, just like radar, living your life before God. You're counting yourself to be alive to God, and there's no secrets. There's nothing I could pull off anywhere, dark, weekend, Las Vegas. Nobody knows I'm out of town. God's never out of town. He knows, and so you, you, can't, you can't sneak around on him. He's going to say, where are you? Do you think he knew where Adam was? Yeah, yeah, he knew. Well, he's the spirit being, and there's something said about God that he is spirit, and we use the definition he's simple in that. And what that means is not IQ, it's composition. In God's composition, there's not bone, there's not blood, He's of one substance, spirit, simple, not intelligence, just composition. Um, and then he's unified. We talk about the unity of God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. John 10, uh, 10 30, I and the Father are one thing. That means uh, God is not divided uh, he's one. There's one essence. Did you get these charts? What about that chart? Do you have it? Okay. Uh, so think then, first of all, if someone asks you, who is God? He is eternal spirit that is self-existent. He's immense. No spirit being other than him is immense. He's simple in composition. He's one He's not divided. And so then you have to say, but what about the Trinity? Isn't that dividing God? The Trinity, all three persons share the same essence. So the one spirit that is God and the attributes that go with it 
are shared by Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So people say, you Christians are crazy because Trinity says tri-unity, three-unity, three in one. What is the one? His essence, his abilities, his nature, but they're shared by three distinct persons, and there's nothing in all the world like it. There's nothing like it. That's why you'd, I think a crazy man would have had to written the Bible if they made that up. No man would have just come up, a, hey, let's come up with the three in one. That'll drive on batty. There's nothing in all literature or science. It, it's unique to God, three in one. I, I would say to you, we won't have time to, we'll go into Trinity, maybe our next class. Uh, but I wish you would think Trinitarian. I mean, you've got, uh, don't reduce God to one person. Because everybody's got their favorite member of the Trinity they like. Or you get this idea, there was one God in the Old Testament that was mean and angry and said, kill everybody. That, that decides to love us in the new. It's the same God all the way through. All the way through. Uh, you know what? I, I don't want to say so, too many other areas of theology. What man today is told, God loves you and he's got a wonderful plan for your life. That is absolutely not true to begin with. God is angry at you, and his wrath is focused on you, and you are headed for divine judgment. For you are a child of wrath. That's where you start. That's where you start. God doesn't like the rebellion that's going on. He doesn't like the fall. God is angry at you, and if you don't find any help for your problem, you will, without a flinch on God's part, be separated from me forever. Now, we've invented different ladders and different bridges. One is called the bridge of merit. We'll build a bridge called good works, and that will heal the rift. God says, do you think you could ever do enough things to uh, make me not angry about how you've treated me and your rebellion? Two is the bridge of mysticism. I'll seek a Gnostic deeper experience and I'll have secret knowledge and get closer to God than anyone could ever imagine. No, no, no. God said the only place he will meet the race and not extinguish you is at the cross. And yet you say the cross is foolish, the cross is weak, the cross is despicable, and it seems like the only folks you can get there are not mighty, they're weak, they're foolish. The offscouring of the world seem to be the only folks that make it to the cross. And God said, that suits me. Nobody will boast except those that have been saved, and they will boast that I saved them. But all of us begin our life under the wrath of God. And that's where your children are. It's where your loved ones are. It's where everybody is, you know, they're abiding beneath the wrath of God until they come to Christ. John 3, 36. Well, let's go and see how does this God act. And we're just hitting broad strokes. They're abbreviated. I've got 80 other pages here, but I doubt that we'll get to them. And many of you are thanking the Lord. Um, God uh, knows all things. He never learns, for he already knows. Omniscience. Uh, Psalms 139. You were there when I was being woven in my mother's womb. You knew me then. Uh, Ephesians 1. You knew what was going on before I was born from the foundations of the world. You knew me way back there. Now, what does it make you feel like once you get out from the wrath of God and you find out you can call this wrathful, angry God due to your sin, and because you went to the cross, you now are told by God himself, 
From now on, you can call me Father. And he says, by the way, your Father knows everything. Um, I've got all the wisdom you'll ever need. Um, matter of fact, I'm going to work everything together for your good. And I'm the smartest person on the block. See, wisdom and knowledge is power. Jeremiah says men worship three things, wealth, wisdom, and strength. Jeremiah 9, he said, but our boast is in our God. We're not the wisest on the block. We may not be the wealthiest. We may not be the strongest, but guess what? You belong to the wisest person in the entire created world, ages upon ages. It's your father. So I don't have to be the smartest. A lot of my friends call me Mr. Magoo. They, they don't know how I come out on the other side, right? So, hey, you know what? I'm making it to heaven on his wisdom, not mine. I'm getting there because I got the right shepherd, not because I'm the smartest sheep. We all have a way of getting lost and going our own way. But my shepherd gets me there. What about your shepherd? Is he smart? Yeah. He knows everything. Everything. Everything about you. He knows what you're planning to do. He, he knows when you're going to die. He knew who you were going to marry. Sometimes he try to talk you out of it. Sometimes he's gone ahead and blessed you. He knows everything. Um, this God is uh, omnipotent. God Almighty. I mean, I'm just telling you these things. You already know them. I'm just stirring up your remembrance to be edified. Uh, do you really belong to the God who has all power has all power to do whatever he wills to do. God only limits the expression of his power by his character. He doesn't make rocks so big he can't move them. That's a favorite theological question when guys are in seminary and are bored. Can God make a rock bigger than he can move? No, dummy. He doesn't use his power to contradict his character. He's not that stupid. You're pretty stupid for coming up with it. <laughs> His power is to keep you stupid to get you to heaven, not to make rocks. He's dealing with a rockhead. See, no, 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 no. He uses his power only to accomplish his will. He never uses his power to contradict what he is. That's why he doesn't answer some of your prayers. Not because he's not a prayer answering God, but he knows what's best for you. And he will not give you anything uh, that will ruin you. Now, he did tell Israel one time in Psalms 107, he said that uh, he granted their request, but then he sent leanness into their soul. Kind of giving them a little object. Oh, you, you really want that? Let you have it. And then you're bored with it in about a month. He said, uh, you still want it, huh? You got three years to pay it off. You really didn't need it, did you? No, it's kind of getting dull. You really didn't need it. I let you have it. Teach you young to flee dead as you get older. Because that beauty and wax wears off real quick. Payments don't wear off. They just keep coming. And all the adults said, amen. Uh, God is permeated by love. He's the only being in all the world that innately loves. There's nothing else that innately loves. God has never been selfish a day in his life. Now, God... Um, God is in love with himself because there's nothing greater than God. 
If I told you to love the best thing there is in the world, God the Father would say, well, the Trinity. I've got the Son to love. I've got the Spirit to love. The Spirit says, well, I love the Father. I love the Son. The Son says, I love you both. There's nothing above us. So they've always loved themselves, but it's a family system. They can love, 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 and they're loving two other members. Can you imagine the Trinity has never disagreed on anything? I mean, do you think they'd at least have a fight over who of the Trinity would want to save you? Can you imagine the other two members? Oh, I don't want to save them. Can we pick somebody? They all three said, yes, we want to save them. And when the father says, I'd like to save. You see, this is what happened. I just thought of this the other day. In order for me to get to call God father, God the father had to call the son a curse. Because he had to curse him with everything that was bad about me. And so God could say, you can call me father, but it's only because my son was willing to let me curse him because of you. And so now we get to call God Father because the son said, Dad, if you want to do the saving, I'm willing to do the dying. That's the relationship. And so the Trinity's always manifested love with one another. And when you read the Gospel of John as we're going through, it is like getting into a microwave oven when you read some of those chapters, how the Son loves the Father, and the Father loves the Son, and I delight to do His will, and I will reveal myself to those who love me. It's on and on. I think, wow, wow, I, I can't get the depth of what they're saying. We love each other. We love each other. I will do anything the Father says, and if you love me, you will do what I say, like I obey the Father. George Rutenbar's uh, life's verse was, I'd never seen anybody with this verse, 1421 of John, 1421. Uh, they wanted me to use it. I could not. It was uh, too theologically intense. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. I mean to unpack that verse. I will reveal myself. If you love me, what comes first? Obedience or love? Always love. The proof you love this God is you obey him. You don't, you don't love a God you won't obey. I say that all the time. You don't love a God, you won't obey. The reason you don't obey him, you don't love him. The reason you don't love him is you don't know him. That cut out all the baloney talk in the church world. You can't help loving God and obeying God when you've been born again because he gives you a heart that falls in love with him. That's why we obey, because we love him. We've been captured. Um, holiness. This is the hardest one. I don't know how to define holiness good enough. Um, a lot of men, like Edwards and different ones, they make holiness the sum total of who God is. D.A. Carson says the name of God is holiness. He just says God equals holiness. He just, I, I don't know, he just gave up. He said the name of God is holiness. I don't know how to unpackage that. I don't know what, to say about it that this is the best we come up with. God maintains his own moral character and abhors anything unlike himself. He demands that others become pure as he is pure. Uh, when you read 1 Peter, be holy as I am holy. Has anyone yet achieved that? What a thing to put before us. God wants you to become like him in holiness, moral, purity, in his choice. I think that means hate what I hate, and God hates certain things. Proverbs 6, he names seven. 
He loves certain things. He, he has biases. He has prejudice. I mean, I want you to get where your moral life, as I'm following the moral life, choices, thinking, what you do with your body, how you use your eyes, how you use your ears. I want them to be all the choices I would make. I want you to be like me in holiness, purity of character. I hate a lie. I hate adultery. I hate stealing. I hate, wait, you want me to get like you? Absolutely. And the Holy Spirit that I, why Holy Spirit? I'm giving you a divine person of the Godhead that will conform you to this demand. Become like me in all the holiness, your body, your possessions, your entertainment, everything. What would God the Father do? I used to get tickled with my sister, and I tell it sometimes that uh, because I, when I grew up, she played a lot of ragtime music and always bought this sheet music on the top ten and everything. And as I was learning to play guitar, you know, I, I'm going to do St. Louis blues. Let's do five foot two. Let's, let's do some ragtime. Let's go. And especially when I was playing the banjo. Let, let's do this stuff. But being saved so long nearly ruined her because she'd kick off a few songs, about the third song. You know, she was complying with me. She said, I said, sis, come on, do it. You can do it. And she said, I was in a meeting somewhere, and at that meeting I told the Lord, if you'll enable me to play, I dedicate these hands to you. And I just get no joy in playing anything that doesn't promote him. I, it got, you know, it's real corny, isn't it? Now, all the talent I got, I'm going to use to praise him, promote him, love him. So, honey, can she play St. Louis Blues? You better believe it. It's wonderful. But it just doesn't do anything for me. Uh, what other song? I guess we do I'll Fly Away. A real heavy theological song. But you see, people as they are made holy, it's amazing. It works out different ways in different traditions. I've seen women change their dress. I've seen men change their dress. I've seen them change so many things. And all it was many times, if it wasn't legalism or confusion, I, I just want to be like him. I just want to be like him. And you're going to look weird in this world wanting to be like God. You will look weird. But conforming my character. I don't want to tell the jokes he wouldn't tell. I don't want to look on people like he would not look. I want to look on them like he does. Uh, it, it's heavier. I'm too weak a man. I'm too small between the ears to unpackage holiness. You got to read Jonathan Edwards. Uh, maybe John Gerstner, by some other guys that hold books on it. Uh, J.C. Ryle on holiness. Uh, this, it's loaded. Uh, I'm just not able to do a very good job. Uh, righteousness. God is righteous. God always acts right with respect to each person of the Godhead and toward his creation. He, he, he can never make a mistake. I'm moving through your goodness. Call no man good. You remember when they said that? They called Jesus good. Don't call any man good. Only God is good. You ought to ask, well, why didn't you accept it? Because the guy wasn't calling him God. He was just calling him a good man. And he's saying, if you're going to call me good, you've got to go a step further. You've got to say I'm also God. The man was willing to pay a compliment, but he wasn't willing to say he was God. Only God is good. And that word is the idea he always desires and maintains his own happiness and that of others. He is the giver of all true beneficial kindness. Let's get this image in our mind. Once you go to the cross 
Everything from the cross on, God is set out to benefit you. Good. You're only an object of his wrath until you come to Christ. Then the wrath is in the past, and now he's going to pour his goodness. He poured his goodness even getting you to come to Christ. Absolutely. He showed you the riches of his mercy and his grace. But everything is for your good once you've come to Christ and you bowed to Christ. It's all in his plan for your good. God has no wicked plans for your life. None. None. God has no wicked designs to trip you up. His power, his resources, his word, his spirit, his interceding son are all for you. For if God who did not spare his son for you, will he not with him also freely give you all? See, he's already done the hard part for you at the cross. Now he's just going to show you all these other benefits. God is good all the time. He wants to be good to his people. And I think that's an image we need to get. My God is good all the time. He's for me. He's for me. He's for me. He can never be against me. I might be against him, and he may have to chasten me to get me in a better mood. But he will never be against me. Even his spankings are divinely ordained for my good. And it yields the fruit of righteousness and holiness. See, God is for you. Did you know that? Our God is for us. He's not the stalker trying to catch you. Not at all. He's the protector. He is the provider. Oh, what a God he is. Uh, truth. Uh, God is perfectly reliable in all that he says and in all that he does. He sees things as they really are. See, he's always been right about everything he's said anything about. Oh, he didn't stutter in Genesis 1. Well, I think we created, but I'll wait till Darwin tells us different. He didn't stutter. He spoke. God speaks, and he doesn't stutter, and some things he says about 50 times. If he says it once, that ought to be enough. But if he repeats it, he did it. He's the creator God. He's truthful in all he says. You can count on his truth. And sometimes truth is translated um, faithful, reliable. And, you know, some of you have grown up around liars all your life. And most of us live with lies all the time. It's called uh, advertisement. That you need this. No, I don't. You said I need it. And the only reason you said I need it is you want to make a huge profit off of me. You're lying to me. Or, you know, that, that little chemistry going on at the office and I think she likes me. I think she can meet needs in me that my wife couldn't meet. Somebody's lying. It says you live with a deceptive mechanism called a heart. Jeremiah 17, 9 said the heart is deceptive and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, I see some people, they're always following. The, my heart told me to do it. Well, wait a minute, which one, the new one or the old? I don't explain, I can't explain it exactly. I wish the old one would have gone in a trash can, but you still carry it around somewhere. Because it can produce some ugly stuff. You've got to be sure you quit listening to the devil that lies and your heart lies. So where in the world can you get anyone to tell you the truth? God. He will tell you the truth. And he tells it in his word. That's why you've got to run to the word for your sanity. Freedom. God is free to express who he is apart from any inner compulsion, necessity, or outward constraint. No one moves upon God to do what he's done. He freely created, freely planned the plan of salvation. Uh, none of us, uh, Romans 11, who has been God's counselor? Uh, who has mailed up any suggestions? Job, where were you when I created? 
you don't like the way uh, I'm doing things right now. Where were you when I did this and did that and did that? God is free. I wonder if he wants his people to feel free. He whom the son ties up in chains will always be in chains. He whom the son, what? Sets free is free indeed. And what sets you free in the context? The truth shall set you free. John 17, 17, the words I speak unto you, they are truth. Sanctify them by thy truth. Thy word is truth. If you hang out with the Bible, you can't stay addicted. I said you can't stay addicted. If you start putting truth in you, you'll get over all the hang-ups that's made all the messes in your life. Truth will set you free. You will quit believing the lies. You'll quit. He, uh, you folks that uh, stay under guilt all the time, when will you believe the truth that in Christ you're not condemned? He didn't save you to stay guilty all the time. He didn't save you to beat yourself up all the time. He, did he liberate you or did he not? Is there freedom in the Christian life, joy in the Christian life, or is it a psychobabble life that I'm still trying to figure out? Me and I don't know which voice is saying, here's the voice. The voice of the shepherd. And it's in ink. You know why? You can't remember anything. How are you doing on your passwords? Erica just today had to tell me another password to an account I had that she's been dipping into or so I don't know. I mean, but she knew the password. I have to keep my grandchildren alive to know which account I get into. I'm glad he wrote it down. I'm glad I own one and I'm going to read it and know it's right there. Well, I've just struggled with my devotions. Are you struggling with lies? We notice you've been real discouraged. You've been missing. You've been kind of sickly in your spirit. Well, I just haven't had a lot of time to get in the Word. You know, Brother Howard, I just hear my old brother saying that. Oh, so you'd rather be lied to than to hear the voice of truth. Turn off your TV. Don't watch any TV if you miss devotions. It's a sin to watch TV and not to have read your Bible. Dawson Trotman taught Navy men when he was establishing the navigators. If you miss your morning devotions, you don't eat breakfast. For man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You need the Bible more than you need breakfast. I thought you were going to talk about God. Well, I'm talking about breakfast, too. I'm talking about his word. Here we got this God that talks. You know, can you imagine this? Listen to me. I would crack up to live with a married partner that didn't talk to me. I feel for some of you women, because men are more quiet than the women usually. And the men are praying you'll get quiet. but just to be married to someone that you just talk by. Well, talk to me. I don't want you to know what's on my heart. I don't. God is a revealer. He's chosen to reveal himself to his own. And you ought to be thankful he wrote a book. I can't tell you what it's like. I'm getting all the family stories right. I'm re reading this, I already read it, this family history that Hazel wrote on our family. I've been telling these stories all these years to suit me. I finally got the facts. <laughs> you know, now, now it's been edited. Man, I've renamed people, different ages. It didn't matter. You didn't know the difference. I didn't either. I wasn't around. <laughs> but you know what? It is so nice uh, for family history and me just that she thought enough to write to her brothers and sisters, this is where we came from, this is what it's about, 
whatever. Think of this story here that started back at creation, started back at the Exodus, started with the patriarchs, and he traces it all the way until we land at a city where the lamb is the light, where the nations come and eat from the fruit of the tree of life. It tells it all the way, and you got it. We might fight over when it all is going to happen, but it's going to happen. The God of the Bible is the God we describe. Now, look at here. The nature of God, we use four other things. He's immutable. That means he's unchangeable. Now, don't get that confused with he's immobile. You want to know what the difference is? I knew you did. Uh, when we say he's immutable, we're talking about his character. He can never change his character but he can change his activity. See, can God ever change? Well, he can't change. Well, once he started creating, he can never stop creating. Oh, yeah, he can stop an activity. But we're talking about he can never change his character, what he is, his truth. He's immutable. He's unchangeable as to who he is. That's what we mean. Um, he's sovereign. God is able to express his divine nature without fear or favor. He is the supreme ruler of the universe. And that's where we often talk about God's sovereignty and salvation. Nobody can predict who God is going to save. And those that are saved have no more merit than those that never get saved. It's a mystery. Why you? Can you say for yourself, well, I was a better sinner than my girlfriend. I was a better sinner than my brother or sister. Now, I'm afraid some of you would say that. And uh, that's the most tragic thing. You can't be thankful for grace because you earned it. The rest of us got it by grace. We never, we can't figure out why God chose us. Why? Even before the boys were born, he chose Jacob. How would you like to have Jacob for a brother? No, no thanks. Give me a cell block in San Quentin. I, I just, I lose just as much there as I would be with Jacob. And God says, I'm going to save Jacob. My lands, what a rascal. God, is this the best you can do? Well, I don't know about the best, but it's what I choose to do. Well, who do you think you are? I'm sovereign God. I can bless anyone I want to bless. And I can raise up one while I'm taking another down. Well, well, well what's, well, what determines, who gives you that right? It's called being God and being sovereign. And I'm going to orchestrate all of my creation, even the wicked, for a day to praise me. I'm even using wicked men to work out my purposes. I'm not frustrated with anything. So then, this is just a, now we haven't talked about him as Redeemer. We haven't talked to him about Messiah. We haven't talked about the atonement. We haven't talked about what he does in salvation. We just talked about a little bit about who he is, and we've only touched the hem of his garment. And so we say, those who worship him in the realm of truth, you know what you could do? You ought to someday just take this and say, I'd like to thank you for who you are and for how you act. And you got a little list. You get a theology book. We got Grudem guys that are bury you. You see, if Jonathan Edwards did this, you know the only difference between my notes and Jonathan Edwards? In Jonathan Edwards, he'll give you 80 verses under each point. And he wrote his book in 1700s, and he, he uh, pinned paper on him all the time because paper was hard to find. He'd pin it on his coat. He'd pin his notes, and he would save paper and write down every verse where he found the truth because he studied the Bible 14 hours a day, chopped wood in the winter, for exercise, rode a horse in the spring for exercise, died at 55 of smallpox, the greatest brain in American history for both science and theology. And he said, I exhausted myself 
to find out about this kind of God. Oh, saints, I'm going to tell you, the God we worship is the God of the Bible. We don't worship the Bible. We worship the God of the Bible. And, and he describes himself, and I'm sorry for such a weak sketch, but I didn't want to be here all night with you. I did this for 18 weeks every morning at 9 o'clock in San Francisco. And I tell you, I shouted on the way home. I couldn't believe I had such a big God. You ought to read, every one of you, you ought to invest a little money. Would you invest any money to get smarter? You need to read. You owe it to yourself to uh, read uh, Packer's uh, Knowing God, J.I. Packer. Anybody ever read it? It is a classic. You will not waste your time to read it. It will make your heart burn. And old age won't get rid of it. This thing will make your heart burn. Well, um, ask questions. Let's take 10 minutes, and then we'll continue. Any questions, anything that is confusing to you? Besides me. Okay? Feel free to ask a question about God. Anything that, anything you want to know about God, ask me. Good. Oh, yes, sir. Okay. The question is, God's a spirit being. What about other spirit beings? Are they outside of time and space? No. No, they're, they're, they're created beings. They're circumscribed as where they can be at one time, what they can do. Um, they obviously, uh, as I understand it, are eternal. They, they, they exist forever. Uh, I know no place where he says he terminates them, but uh, they are circumscribed. And here, there, they're not omnipresent. Uh, and uh, what's, what scares me is I was under the influence of demons before I was saved. According to Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, we were by nature children of wrath in which the God of this age was driving us. He did not live in my body, but he was, he was controlling things that were happening in my life to destroy me. So we all have come under satanic, demonic activity. But a sovereign God determined how much each of us were exposed to. And I think that's what's so scary about the drug culture, especially it started in the 60s, and psychedelic drugs, and how it puts you on the threshold of more demonic activity, because the mind closed down, and you were subject to other influences. Very scary. But they have a history. And you know what it amazes me? Uh, I, I don't know. Do you ever think about this? Why didn't he provide salvation for fallen spirit beings like he did for fallen human beings. Why did he decide none for you, one chance, one sin, forever over? Us, a thousand sins, it seems a thousand chances, and I would give up my son to save you because I'm not going to let all the human race perish and go to hell like I'm letting spirit beings that rebelled. They only did one sin, forever doomed. Over here, we've done a thousand sins, forever saved. Wow. David. Well, that's a great thought. He seeks worshipers. And so he said, I'll take these uh, rebellious sinners, save them, and turn them into worshipers. That's, a, that's it, it exactly. And see, what I didn't say to you, notice I didn't mention grace and mercy as one of God's attributes, because they're not. Grace and mercy are sublets of love. And here's something that's interesting. As if I understand Scripture, there was never a time in all of history that God ever showed grace and mercy until he made you. They never had any grace and mercy in eternity back because no one needed it. It's never displayed. The son didn't need mercy. He didn't need grace. So in the Trinity, none of them needed mercy or grace. When it came to spirit beings, I'm not going to show you any grace except one category. The elect angels that he kept from falling, he showed grace. Why didn't they fall? 
He elected them, 2 Timothy 2. He chose them not to fall. The rest fell. And nothing for their rescue. It's only as human beings that God would go at such great lengths to make you people and us, and we will be in the grace trophy case for eternity, and to show the spirit beings, Ephesians 2 and chapter 3, we, Kenneth Weiss wrote a great little article in one of his books called The Church, God's University for Angels. That God, to teach angels about his grace, has them observe the church. And you are displaying to angels and proving God has to be gracious because none of us would make it if he wasn't gracious. And angels are scratching their heads. You didn't give that kind of chance to our buds that rebel. God said, no, I'm having grace on these. These are the ones I've chose for myself. Well, I think we ought to prepare to uh, praise and adore our God. And when you get in a small group, I like it. Why don't we uh, praise some aspect of God's character? Is there anything you could praise in prayer that you've heard about? Just a, oh, I just wish you could study this more. Uh, let's stand. Let's get in uh, groups, and our men will come and serve communion to you.